Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Soho in New York. Please welcome this evening's moderator, Matt Jacobs from the Huffington Post. I am very privileged to be here to discuss this movie, Touched with Fire, and so I think we're going to kick things off by um, watching the trailer. Hey. Hi. Okay? Yeah. You know, it's one in the morning. I just wanted to talk. They call me Luna. Luna! Fire went out last night. Because my mind moves in tune with the lunar shifts. They call me a lunatic. Sun burnt on the tip of the moon. What, what's going on? It's down to the minute the full moon's lit. It's going up in flames. Hey, Dad. What happened to your apartment? I'm just trying to figure out who I am. Why? Even when I go on the medication, I don't feel like myself. I saw myself involuntarily last night. Yes, you can't know, keep me here. Still not allowed no. To be no, 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 no. This is a hospital for sick people. I'm not sick. I can understand why you'd be here. You look very sick to me. There's no life in your face. Somewhere. We have two new people today, Emily and Marco. I go by Luna, my poet's name. You accidentally checked yourself into a mental institution. For just one <laughs> night. We of the craft are all crazy. You know who said that? We're not from here, you and me. These crazy connections between bipolar and artistic genius. Is it true that neither of you thinks you're from this planet? Marco, you're not healthy for one another. I don't think it's such a bad thing to feel life with the deepest emotion. You have to trust me right now. You can't listen to him. It's an illness. It needs to be treated. So you mean insanity? Love. You have to be crazy to be in love. I want the mania. You're not willing to make any sacrifices. Are we a mistake, Carla? Are we a mistake? The closer to each other they moved, the brighter they shined as we race through the days on that flame. All right, and let's welcome our Touched with Fire panel. We have Luke Kirby, Katie Holmes, producer Jeremy Alder, and writer-director Paul Dalio. Welcome, everyone. How are you doing today? Very good. How are you? Good. Good. Paul, I want to start with you. This movie premiered at South by Southwest last year, so obviously you've lived inside this, this project for a while. Um, does it feel like making it was a distant memory? How, long, how, how arduous has the trek been to get it out to the world now that it finally is here or about to be here. Um, well, I was I was doing the editing and the music for so which is why it took so long to do the post. Um, actually, on Apple software, Final Cut and Logic. So, um, but uh, that wasn't a plug. No one told me to do that. Um, uh, but uh, it feels like birth, I guess. If I I don't know how what birth is like, but what I imagine it's like, where it's the pain is kind of 
part of the reward when it finally happens. And now that you've experienced the birth, how easy is it to, do you think it will be to watch it grow in front of the world? I imagine like a parent when the kid finally goes off to college, you kind of want to move on and do something new. Katie and Luke, I want to talk to you guys about, um, you know, this is an interesting movie because you have to chart through so many series, cycles of emotions and ups and downs, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, on any given day when you show up to the set, how, how do you channel how high your, your character's highs are and how low their lows are so that your performance stays as grounded and specific as, as they end up being? Um, well, we were really fortunate because Paul is a, a wonderful director and also because this movie is based on his real life experiences, we could depend on him to help us uh, measure those highs and lows. But also, I mean, um, you know, we we had time to really prepare and really rehearse. So, you know, you 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 look at your week's worth work week's work on Sunday, and you kind of get ready. And oh, Thursdays that you know you map it out. So it's um, you try. <laughs> What of Paul's personal experiences did he share with you in approaching in how to approach these characters and, and, and the project that you guys would create cohesively? Did you guys have questions about um, what living with, with the condition is and, and what, what discussions came out of that? Yeah, Paul and I spent a lot of time walking around the city just kind of getting to know each other and sharing our own, you know, life stories. And he, of course, has a lot to relate about his experience. Um, a lot of the time it's just very specific experiences. Some of it's very, uh, you know, uh, sometimes humorous experiences, sometimes very scary experiences. Um, so yeah, that was very, uh, I think, useful in the, in the building of, of it all. Um, yeah. And, and what, when I read this script, I was so moved by the honesty of the piece. And then when I met Paul, he informed me that it was based on his life experiences in it and, and told me even more. And I was so inspired by his passion and what he's gone through and also this uh, ability to celebrate and to offer another perspective to so many people about this illness. And um, I think it's, it was just really inspiring and something that I wanted to be a part of. And um, Paul gave us so many uh, books and uh, shared a lot of stories. And I, I still have a lot of poetry books because our characters are, you know, we, we are more than our illness. And uh, I think that's the theme, one of the themes of this, this movie. So there was a lot went into it. Katie, your resume spans so many um, different types of projects. And um, I'm curious if a role like this, where you know you have an obligation to, to, the, to the writer whose personal life is being put on, onto the screen, you know, compared to some of the, a lighter, more like studio comedy, a Jack and Jill, a, a Mad Money, um, does the role affect you more than, than certain others do? Do you approach it differently uh, in that sense? 
Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, some this 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 was a dream role because um, there's just so many layers, and um, it was an opportunity that uh, I hadn't had like this before, and um, it was a lot of work, but it was so liberating and wonderful because the environment that we worked in was so freeing, and Paul let us improvise, and Luke was incredibly supportive, as was everyone in the cast and the crew. Um, so we were all able to explore this story that everyone on the set was very, very passionate about. I think we will go to a clip now. Remember that? That was right before I got sick. Remember? What was I like? Maybe. You don't remember? No. You're the same. Mom, I need you to be honest with me. I, you're the only one who knew me back then, and no, I need you. That's, that's not true. There's a lot of people in your life who knew you then. What was I doing when it happened? What do you mean? Well, I mean, the doctor said that something has to trigger it. So what was I no, doing? No, 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 no. There was nothing that we could have done. It was going to happen no, no matter no, what. No, 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 no. She said, I, I must have done something to no, trigger it because didn't. I am you not didn't. the same person, Mom. You didn't. Um, you I am not the same, the same person. Would you please just stop lying to me? Okay. Carla, you, you are acting really hyper right now, and I, 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 are you sleeping okay? What's, what's going on? I'm just trying to figure out who I, who I am, you know, because I don't feel like myself anymore. Even when I go off the medication, I don't feel like myself. Okay, um, you know what, honey, I think we need to get Dad, because he can really help. No, 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 Mom, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have yelled. I won't yell again, please. Okay, get you're right, sit down, and um, I have a really good plan, okay? Listen to my plan. You're gonna spend the night tonight, and then tomorrow morning, first thing, we'll go to the hospital and get your file. See, they have a file of everything about your illness, and then you can learn anything you want. You can ask anything, okay? We'll figure all this out, okay? Are you comfortable watching yourself in, in this context, Katie? I'm always curious of actors, how, how do you, is it weird to process? You know, you lived in, inside this experience and now here it is in a more glossy format for anybody to, to absorb. I actually, I watch it and I, I appreciate greatly all of the work that Paul and our editor did. I, I now have a whole new respect and appreciation for the amount of time and love that has gone into it. And um, we, we really had a great time making this movie, even though it was very intense. And I'm just happy that they found things that work. And also watching it, I just, I, I'm, I'm always blown away by Christine. And she's just, she's such a great actress. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's who I'm watching when I watch it. Well, I want to talk about Christine and, and the depiction of all of the parents. Um, Paul, how important, what was your approach in deciding what the parents' roles in the story would play? You write them very sympathetically, 
Um, and I'm curious, how much did you draw on your own experiences for that aspect of the movie? And what did you want to get across about the parents' role in uh, navigating uh, this, this type of situation? Uh, well, first and foremost, I wanted, you know, it's very easy to make the parents the villains in these kind of movies, but I wanted to create well-intentioned parents. So if there were any well-intentioned parents in the audience, they'd be able to see themselves through their children's eyes and hopefully open up a dialogue. Um, but, you know, each parent uh, has a different relationship with, uh, with their child, which is reflective of, of what happens. So, you know, in Marco's case, he's extremely wild and, and they have a backstory with their mother, which uh, often happens genetic. And, you know, his relationship with his bipolar mother is, be, is being mirrored with his relationship with his father, who, you know, and so in his case, it's a very common thing where the father's trying to reason with someone uh, who's, who's crazy, and how do they reason with someone who's crazy? And he goes very, very crazy. And, uh, and with uh, 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 Carla, it's, it's a, a different situation, which is very, very common, which is that you have a strong relationship with a parent, and you know, you're using that parent to try to cling to who you used to be, and, and who she was as a mother beforehand, and how she's changed since she doesn't have the same daughter and uh, and how also how that person saves their lives in a way that's uh, uh, life-saving and crippling at the same time when you're trying to mature beyond that. There are so many scenes, both of your characters have intense scenes with, with your parent, parental figures and there are so many scenes between the two of you where um, the the mania of the characters' personalities feeds off each other. The, the dialogue is so kind of tit for tat, back and forth, you're sharing ideas. It, there's just this energy to the scene. And Paul obviously knew so well how to stage that and how to, there's a lot of like kind of soaring camera work in, in those scenes where the two of you are um, like in the hospital kind of bouncing ideas off each other. When, when you're going through that and making it so naturalistic and then cut is called, what is there like an energy depletion? Like, what, like what's the, the next moment in, that's going through your minds when you're working yourselves up as these characters and then all of a sudden the scene is over? Well, we kind of kept our energy up the whole day. You know, we, you, you kind of learn to do that in any job you're on. You, you're, you become very aware. I mean, this... This job, it was almost like a, you had to be in shape. It was like a sport. And you, you know, because you were experienced, you were ex creating so much emotion. Um, but we, we, you know, we kind of stayed at a, a pretty high level just to, you know, you don't want to like uh, completely relax and then it's go It's also right like away. very exhilarating getting there and you don't, there's, you don't really want to come down right away. So it's sort of... <laughs> You know, the drag of it is being told you have to go home sometimes. Does the naturalism of those scenes, does that come from rehearsal? You, you mentioned that, that you were able to rehearse a lot, which a lot of movies don't have um, that advantage. Um, so I think, for example, the scene, I know people haven't seen the movie, but there's a scene in the hospital where you guys are, are really just in this intellectual kind of just sharing ideas and it moves very quickly and the dialogue is very rapid. Um, is that a byproduct of rehearsal or, or does it just come naturally? 
Well, I think what was really exciting about making this movie and and it, we were allowed to um, have the time to figure out the characters and figure out their rhythms so that we uh, we kind of knew the rhythm we were trying to achieve. So it made days like that and scenes like that, we knew what the goal was. And that's, that's like 90% of the battle when everybody's on the same page. And then, um, and then we just kind of went for it. But you know, there's a lot of, there's, you know, it's, it's, nobody wants to hear how we all prep. <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, you just, there's a lot that goes into it before you get to the set. There was a lot uh, on the spot too. Like uh, for those scenes particularly, it, I thought it was extremely important uh, not only to improvise, but to be given stuff before each take because uh, at that point, the set uh, was designed in a way that everything had not a man-made meaning, almost a celestial meaning that you could project your mind onto. And when you're manic, you have a million connections going through your heads. There's 12 hours in the day. There's 12, 12 disciples, thir 13th hours Jesus, the, you know, all these kinds of crazy connections. And so uh, they, there were lines in the, in the script, but, but they had a goal in that moment to go out to space, to the planet they belonged. And I would give them, I would flood their mind with like a whole bunch of stuff and just say, go use that stuff to go out to space and they would improvise with it and cycle around and finish each other's sentences and between each take they had another flood of stuff that they would take in and go play with. You know? Interesting, is that easy for you guys? <laughs> Have you been on a set where, where every take like that for a series of takes is, as you're thrown something, a, a new kind of it, hurdle? It keeps it... It keeps it fresh. I mean, it keeps, you know, you don't, you're not, re because you're improvising, because you're not sort of following a script, you're sort of allowed to um, become more paint-like, and you can just sort of throw texture and color uh, the director's way, and th they get to determine later what to do with it. Yeah, and it adds, it adds more um, energy to the scene. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, you know, it's kind of fun to have something new to try, and um, so... I liked it. Jeremy and Paul, I want to ask about, um, you know, Paul, you're such a multitasker with this project. Is that, you know, you wrote, co-edited, directed, and scored the movie. Is that because it's your baby? Or between the two of you, can you answer, was that about ensuring that you had the financing that you needed and didn't have to recruit certain people or, or whatever it would take to get an a, a independent movie like this financed the way that you needed it to be? I mean, I, I love doing it all, honestly. I mean, I, I just enjoy it, you know? Um, and I think that's the beauty of film is that there's so many different art forms that synthesize. And to me, uh, the fun of it is you get to do so many different kinds of stuff. But, um, uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a financial decision. He wanted to, you know, and, and some of the rest of the creative team behind the movie was, to be honest, nervous of him doing the score because he'd never scored a movie before. And we were saying, well, we could get this person and there's some interest and potentially some people coming on board. And he stuck to his guns and, um, and the score turned out incredibly well. It's actually being, uh, Lakeshore is putting it out, putting the soundtrack out on CD um, in conjunction with the release of the film. But, um, you know, he went through the process of sort of teaching himself 
the program to be able to score the movie and, um, and did a phenomenal job. Actually, Katie gave me some confidence on set. She was asking me to play the little piano stuff that I did before I got into all the scoring. She's like, it helps me get in the mood. I'm like, okay, I can, I can do this. I mean, Paul is brilliant. So we, we really, we were very, very fortunate. And this was one of my favorite movies that I've ever been a part of. And I felt like as an actor, it was... It was so creative and um, and a wonderful, wonderful on so many levels, and to be a part of something that has so much meaning um, is really rewarding. You guys mentioned backstage that there were paparazzi issues on the set. Tell me about that. How about the how about the East Village gang uh, paparazzi wars? You can get oh, into that. I'm not sure I'll me? talk about that, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was a challenge. The pop, I mean, these two had to really dive within to get to these characters. And, and one of the things they would look to me for is to give them sort of a set where they were felt safe. And the paparazzi were not the nicest to deal with. <laughs> um, I mean, they would say, if you don't let us get our shots, we're going to call cut in the middle of your take. And so it was a matter of trying to navigate through that. I mean, we... We had one day um, where we shot, we had Katie and Luke in the Washington Square Fountain. And um, it was the day before NYU graduation and there was probably 200 paparazzi lining, uh, lining the- But it was still one it was of the still, best days well, was, ever. It was so fun. I know, you said that to me at the end of the day. And that water was so cold, it yeah. was good. It was 100 degrees out there. And you guys jumped in and went full commitment to doing that scene. I've gone back like four times. And went in the fountain again? Yeah. I mean, I don't stand <laughs> where well. we stood, but I'll swim with the kids. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you said at the end of that day that that was one of the most amazing days of your life. Yeah. I loved it. Wow. And we were nervous as to how that was going to go. I recommend go to Washington Square Park. Not tonight. <laughs> it's a little cold. But in the summer. And await the paparazzi to come now, we, I mean, capture you as you do it. You know, in terms of them being able to focus on their process and whatnot, we, on certain days, I was staying in an apartment in the East Village, and I gave up my apartment so they could do hair, makeup, and wardrobe in, in our apartment so we didn't have trailers on the street so the paparazzi wouldn't necessarily know we were there. But by the second half of the day, someone would Facebook or tweet and go, hey, you know, they're shooting this in the East Village, and then they would descend upon us, and we'd have to deal with them accordingly. It was astounding because they're playing crazy, pe uninhibited people. They have to be totally uninhibited and blind to what people think. And they did it so naturally in front of these paparazzi, which were right in their face, as if they just managed to, maybe they really did go manic. I mean, they got into a manic state where that it was easy, but, they, but they were, their performances are so like, melting their flesh away, literally just kind of uninhibited fire. It was beautiful. Do you guys feel used to that? I mean, you've been around for a while. Do you guys just feel like that's just par for the course and, and on, at this point? Uh, I, In an I unfortunate don't think, way. I don't think my opinion on that has anything to do with selling this, this movie, but um, I, I, I just have to say, I, I, it's wonderful to film in New York City. And we've had a lot of great locations, and uh, you know, this was it, New York is so much a part of these characters and this story. And I think that 
because you, this city, you walk, you are in each other's lives and you, you walk by all different kinds of, of life um, and you can very easily dismiss someone because they're a little off or a little, they make you uncomfortable and hopefully this movie makes you maybe have a little more patience and understanding and empathy. That's, that's, what, um, that's what it did for me. All right, let's see another clip. The fire went out, black, not even the smoke to sniff up the memory of last night's wild sight and resurrect its magic back. The sun burnt on the tip of a matchstick with one flick of God's finger as all eternal blows Lost out. Though now my lips like vicious flint with thrilled flicks and going up in flames as my spirit spreads. Get away my brain like stretching wings of wings. Wildfires rising high in my eyes so wild. wild. I fry your irises. Can you guys talk, maybe uh, whoever feels inspired by this question, can you guys talk about the, the artists that the film also pays homage to? I mean, uh, you'll see at the end there's a series of dedications to, I mean, Ernest Hemingway and Vincent van Gogh and, and I mean, names that everybody knows that, that people probably don't even realize um, experience similar situations. Um, can you guys talk about um, kind of adding that historical element into it and, and um, using that as a way to um, not necessarily romanticize, but um, show that there is a, a beauty almost in the condition that, that's being depicted. Paul, you may have the... the yeah, well, <clears throat> humanity's most beloved image of the sky was seen through a sanitarium window through Van Gogh's manic eyes. And we'll celebrate that, but then we'll walk by the street and we'll see a homeless man with bloodshot eyes and you know a smile looking up at the sky, and we might distance ourselves some themselves from him. And you know, 38% of Pulitzer Prize-winning poets, which is you know the award given to those who made the biggest contributions to the human spirit, uh, are labeled to have uh, a human disorder. You know, so to bring all that back into the spirit of these characters. Uh, it, it was important to reframe this thing that is so clinical and diagnostic and making these people feel like crippled diseases so they have an understanding that people feel more human, more of what it means to be alive and human and, and have rich, deep emotion because of this thing that they're being labeled for. All right, audience. I'll hand it over to you guys, and you let us know, let these folks know what you guys would like to know about Touched with Fire. Um, for each of you, for all the different parts that you played in bringing this film to life, what was the most challenging aspect for you? On screen or off screen? Yeah. Doing it while my wife was pregnant on set as the cinematographer, and knowing the birth was coming and doing the most important scene of the film on the last day while she was going into labor, which was, I, I had to do it that day. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, and, uh, and get it right. Uh, and being present while not missing the birth of my firstborn was definitely the, the hardest. Um, and you made it like within 45 minutes. minutes. Like 45 minutes. Yeah, I mean, that, that was one of the most stressful days of my life because, um, 
I got a call from no, Paul. No, give him the stress. <laughs> give it to him. That was his right, day. His stress, it his was stress, his day. Fair enough. He did call me at 3 o'clock in the morning the night before. We were shooting the opening and the closing of the movie that day. And they said, we're going to the hospital. We're going to have the baby cancel the shoot. And I said, no, we're not canceling the shoot. You're not going to have the baby right now. And they said, no, no, we're having the baby cancel the shoot. I said, okay, but I didn't. And then they called me back two hours later. I mean, I have, I have three kids as well, so I knew they weren't going to have it right then. And then he called me back and said, you didn't cancel the shoot, did you? And I said, no. And then we came in and we had a PA standing outside with the car running, waiting for him to wrap, got in a car and went right to the uh, hospital and was there for the birth of his son. So that was a very stressful day. I still don't know how I feel about that choice, but um, I know that the film would not kind of get you at the end and resonate. And I rationalized that that was kind of our, our nest to, to put the baby in, and if it fell apart, there'd be nothing for us to stand on, which is the truth, you know? When but you say you're not sure how you feel about that choice, what do you mean? Well, I mean, we could have canceled the last day and postponed it, but you wouldn't get the performance you needed uh, to get on that last day, and that's the only day you can get that performance. And you'd have to see the film to know why, but um, uh, I knew that, and, that, and that, that scene was so important that the film would fall apart. Had, had we not shot that, um, Luke was leaving to go to Utah. So we had no option. If we didn't shoot it that day, um, it was going to have to be pushed for months later. And so we were fighting against that. I mean, but your stress, I knew I was not going to let you miss the birth of your child. How did your wife <laughs> that feel about all of Because I wouldn't be crunch. here right now. Oh, we took a long time for us to get over that one. You know, psychologist, the whole thing. Yeah. You can't follow that with any stress. Yeah. I mean, he, they, they, they win. You win. <laughs> for sure, for sure. In terms of the structure, was it more Greek or biblical? That's interesting you say that because uh, people who are bipolar live in a mythic world. They actually, Joseph Campbell did a study on bipolar and shamanism and was saying that there's a pattern between what happens is... Uh, you, you know, the images in front of your eyes vanish and they all take on a mythical meaning. I got obsessed with mythology after I became bipolar, but the Bible is mythology. So they go hand in hand. They're all metaphors for something that's truth. And what happens with someone who's bipolar, often they mistake that truth for fact, and that's why they go crazy and they get lost in it. Um, as a filmmaker, was there uh, any kind of decision you needed to make to separate what you were shooting in improv versus what you were going to just take care of in post? Um, I encourage them to improv uh, in just about every scene, just about every camera setup. I encourage them to f first improv around the lines. So we got the lines in the can. Uh, but they even that allowed them to bring their lines to life by having by being free to you know say the lines but also do other stuff in between but and then in addition to that uh, I encourage them to have one to just kind of do whatever they wanted uh, I just think that's a great fundamental principle for filmmaking in general uh, I do attribute a lot of the amazing performances to that principle uh, there were obviously in the manic phases you encourage that a lot more but and also, in the, in the, in the, some people don't want to uh, do uh, overlapping dialogue with uh, group uh, dynamics because it's hard to edit. Uh, I, w I made sure to cover in the camera 
the lines you know, when there was no overlap, but I also encourage the overlap because it really gets the conflict going. You know, when they can overlap over each other and you know, really let loose. Uh, and it definitely felt like the actors weren't restricted because of it. Yeah, there's nothing worse than hearing on set, oh, we'll fix it in post as an actor because you just, even though it may be true, you've tried to sort of bring some value to your work and when you hear it, it just feels completely undervalued. So, you know, credit to Paul for wanting to just keep driving through and, you know, seeking out. So, um, I mean, this, this film just sees few clips that we've seen. It's never good when you can like see yourself and most of them but looking in and, and trying to, and, and being able to put this into a movie with, I can imagine like all the, you know, the, what people feel in a manic state or in a depressive state to be able to do that and also to be able to share it with, uh, with the world so they can see, you know, the, the, the talent, the, the fact that it's out of people's control. I mean, just to be able to, I mean, someone directing this with lived experience and then everyone else, you know, learning, I'm sure, a lot, I think is just great. I don't even really have a comment about the film. Uh, I just wanted to say that because thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think we have one more clip before we um, take the last audience question. Because we both share it, we're the only ones that can relate to each other. Beautiful. Well, I understand that. Well, excuse me, but you understand that? The doctor, remember the doctors told us? I mean, let's face it. You know, if they, if they signed up for a dating website, you know, and they put down mentally ill, it's not like they're going to attract a whole lot of people saying, oh, that's my soulmate, right? Um, maybe this is a, a chance for them to have a real relationship. You know, and if they stay on the medication, Quite frankly, I got no problem with but that. But that's the whole issue, right? Mom, can you just listen to him? We Mom, can't just, take the just Okay, well, just Marco, as I thought. What are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Marco, listen, you know that it's going to take time mm. till you find the, the, the right dosage, mm. right? Mm. Even the doctor. The doctor has said that eventually you are going to feel mm. a, a, the wide range of normal emotions. And how does he know? He's not taking the meds. The doctor does not take the meds. You so know that. Then I can't just trust him. And I don't think it's such a bad thing to feel life with the deepest emotion. I don't think that's a problem. It's an illness. Well, maybe for you, because maybe you have a low emotional capacity, and so to you, it makes you feel no, sick. No, 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 I don't but have, no, wait, 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 wait a minute. I don't have no, a low emotional okay. capacity. I'm sorry. I feel I'm things not, just okay. fine. I understand. You. I don't. That's a perfect example of the overlapping dialogue. That's right. Hi. Um, well, first of all, thank you. Um, for doing this. Um, Katie, earlier you said that um, you're more than the illness. Um, so as a team, you guys did this. Is there anything more any of you would say to someone who feels that the illness is more than him or herself? In addition to uh, what Katie's saying is so true in that you, g you give the person a label and you, you see them through that lens. Uh, as if they are that label, and you, you, you miss all the flesh and humanity behind that. But in addition to that, um, what's difficult 
for a lot of people who have it to stomach is the fact that it's in their DNA. It's in their genes. It's in it's the way that God, you know, weaved them since the origin of their being, way back down in their family tree. So it's hard to separate yourself from it at the same time when people look at you through that lens. And to know that it's an a gift of humanity, to know the humanity that comes out of it, that it's all the emotions that make us human, you, they just experience uh, uh, to a broader extreme. So, it, you know, you, to say that it, it's that you are not an illness, because how can you call that a human illness if, if it brought so much humanity to who the rest of are, like Jason who stole fire from the gods and was burned by it but managed to bring it to us? The hope is that people will see this movie and they, they won't feel ashamed about having this illness. They'll still need to treat it and deal with it, but they won't feel so ashamed to say they have it um, or feel so, or hope, and hopefully people won't stigmatize them as much um, if you know someone else that has it. Hopefully, it. hopefully it expands people's understanding of this, you know, disease that affects 5.4 million people in the United States and one in four of them commit suicide. So it's a very serious sort of epidemic that needs to be sort of reframed the, the, the sort of perception of it. Even, even doctors telling a patient, you know what, we're, this is a gift we're gonna treat as opposed to a disease we're gonna terminate. How much different would the patient approach that? Or even a patient saying, I can thrive with this instead of I'm just gonna get by with this. Or, you know, the, the public's appreciation of the beauty allowing these people to come out about it. Because if they don't see the beauty of it, why are they going to come out about it? What are they going to have to be proud of? Thank you all so much for being here. The movie opens in New York and Los Angeles this Friday and nationwide next Friday. <laughs>